The book of Numbers, the 13th chapter, beginning to read at the 25th verse. At the end of forty days they, that is the twelve, returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Yet the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and besides, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and among, along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, Oh, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel an evil report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there he saw the Nephilim, the sons of Enoch, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. children of Israel were standing on the edge of their promised land. They thought that they were on the last lap of that long, long journey which began back in Egypt, took them through the desert, and now was bringing them to the shores and the borders of Canaan. They were on the edge of the promised land, but they didn't know what was out there. No one knows what the tomorrows hold. So Moses sent out twelve scouts to spy out the land. And for nearly six weeks, those twelve men mapped the terrain, observed the people, tested the fortifications around the city, tasted the fruit, and then Forty days after they had left, they returned to the anxiously waiting nomadic colony of people who were desirous to hear the report of their spy. Our report was a good one. They all agreed. All twelve spies agreed. The land is good. Truly it is one that flows with milk and honey. The people are many, the fortifications around the cities are strong, the fruit is good, and we even saw some giants in the land. 
report to all twelve was the same. But the analysis of the report, the decisions which were to be made from the facts, they were not the same. Energetic, spirited Caleb said, Let us go up at once and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome it. But the other spies that went up with him said, Oh, no, 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 we, 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 we can't do that. They're too strong for us. They are stronger than we. And the decision was made that the children of Israel should not go into the Promised Land. And at that time in history, they didn't. This text has been chosen because I believe that there are many people today who, in this congregation, are standing at the edge of their promised land. And I speak not only of these, these young people who are graduating, I'm speaking about many of us who still believe and dream about greater tomorrows, who still believe that God out there has prepared some milk and honey for us to get to enjoy. Now, Joel's right. Not only do the young men see, see visions, but old men dream dreams. And there are many of us here today who, who still believe out there is a promised land. But we're not quite sure what is out there. So I suggest that we take some lessons from this particular incident which is willing to teach us what we can expect when we stand on the edge of our promised lands. The first lesson is simply this. On your way to the promised land, look out and beware of giants. There are giants out there. Big giants. Giants that threaten, giants that torture, giants that terrify, and giants that can prevent you from entering the promised land that God has created for you in the particular destiny which he has given you. And any person who denies that there are giants out there not only deceives himself, but will never enter the promised land. That's one of the good things all twelve of the spies did. They recognized the giants. We've got to be on the alert. I think one of the great weaknesses we have as a church and as a nation is that we forget that there are giants out there. There are all kinds of giants. I don't have the time to, to try and explain them and identify them, but I would like to zero in on one of them, the one who I think is the great-granddaddy giant of them all, that giant known as fear. That giant has kept more people out of the promised land than any other giant. But fear is hard to recognize, and it's especially hard to recognize when you're on the way to the promised land. His descendants are so many 
But sometimes you don't recognize the influence of the great granddaddy giant here. That when men cheat and people lie, when they're dishonest, those are all signs of the giant fear. Fanaticism, perversion, addiction. What are they if they are not footprints of the descendants of the granddaddy giant fear? That's what they are. You see, fear can make us do all sorts of ridiculous, irrational things. Look what it did here to the children of ancient Israel. First of all, it made them to lie. And the land which God had said was one flowing with milk and honey, these spies out of fear said, oh no, 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 it's a land that devours its people. It made them paranoid. The first report was they just saw some of the sons of Enoch, only a few giants. But because of fear, suddenly they saw everybody as being a giant. They're all sons of the Nephilim. Huh? And what is probably worse, it gave them, which I think is the most horrible thing that a person can have, in any society, the grasshopper complex. Instead of being the sons of God, called to a destiny, they began to think of themselves as being an insect, a grasshopper. You know what a grasshopper does? It, jip, it jumps, it, it flits. It just hops around from one thing to another, never in any direction, always living in constant fear that some giant is going to step on him and kill him. That's what fear can do. It can make a person, it can make a people, it can make a nation completely unstable, insecure. Fear can cause us to hop from one thing to another because we have fear of failure, fear of growing old, fear of losing our hair, fear for our lives or for our families, for our nation, for our church, fear that we will not get recognition, fear that we're going to miss out on something that is fun or should be happy can create people to do all sorts of things. Worst thing it can do is cause us just to hop from one security blanket to another, hoping, looking for recognition and encouragement and for identification. Sounds a little bit like our society, doesn't it? Hopping around. Look out. On your way to the promised land, there are giants. And there's no bigger giants than the great granddaddy of them all, the giant of fear. A second lesson is to be learned, I think, from this incident in history, namely that it is always easier on the way to the promised land to listen to the frightened words of men rather than to the word of the Lord. 
It's always easier to listen to the words of fear that come from men than the word of truth that comes from the faithful Lord. Look, look, look. Caleb. He believed that victory was possible. Why shouldn't he believe it? He was with the people back there in Egypt when God said that that he would cause the angel of death to pass over those Hebrew homes that were identified with blood on the lintel of the doorposts. And God did it. And Caleb saw it. God said that he would lead those people out of Egypt and God somehow held back the waves of the Red Sea and allowed the children of Israel to pass upon the dry carpet of the sand. And then they themselves saw the waters close over the Egyptians who were chasing them. Caleb saw that. He remembered the word of the Lord, that the Lord would tabernacle with his people, and Caleb was there when God instructed the people how to build a tabernacle. <clears throat> Caleb was there when God said that he would lead his people, and just to show that he always does what he says he's going to do, Caleb saw him put a cloud in the sky that led by day and a pillar of fire that led by night. God said that he would give the people bread, and Caleb had eaten the manna which God gave six days out of every week. You see, Caleb knew God. He believed God when God made a promise, and when he said that God wants us to be in this land flowing with milk and honey, and he said, believing that God is with us and we can do it. He did it built upon not just wishful thinking, but upon the facts that God had blessed the people in the past and he would do so in the future. He believed that, but the people did not believe Caleb. No, they believed the fearful report of the others that went up with Caleb. They believed that they couldn't do it because of the words that came from fearful men. And you see what happened? Just, just look at the progression. Words came from men who were frightened. That contagion spread so that the people began to cry over their problems, and crying turned into murmuring. And the murmuring created an atmosphere where the people wanted to get rid of their leaders. Sounds rather familiar, doesn't it? And there, the people wanted to elect a new leader. They accused God of attempted murder, and they wanted to do what no person can possibly do. They wanted to turn back and go to Egypt. All because they believed the words of fearful men who said it cannot be done. But of course, it's always easy in every society to believe the words of men rather than is the word of God. We see this every day. God says he loves us. God sent his son to die upon that cross, and that cross is a symbol of God's eternal love. You know that. You say you believe in the love of God, and then something happens in your life which you may not like, and the first thing you do is say what? 
you begin to think that God doesn't love you. You try to live the Christian ethic, and some wise fool says, oh, it's impossible, you can't do it. But you try, and lo and behold, someday you think you've come up with the short end of the stick. And your wise friend said, see, see what I told you? Instead of believing God, you believe the words of men that it is impossible to follow God in business and in society today, and that best instead of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, you better do unto others before they do unto you. And there are many people who said that they believe that Jesus' death on the cross cleansed them of their sin. They don't fully understand the atonement, no one of us does. But they have asked God for forgiveness. They know that the Lord will never leave them nor forsake them. And then suddenly they feel alone. What's the normal reaction? My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? <laughs> Poor God. Poor God. We would rather believe the words of men before we believe God. God says all things are possible through me. A little project comes up, a little problem comes up. Maybe somebody drinks too much. Maybe somebody is not faithful. Immediately everybody says that man, that woman is done. That young person is ruined. We believe men rather than God. That's a shame. But it always happens on the way to the promised man, land. It's always easier to believe the words of men than it is the word of God. And there's one last truth. It is simply this. Just remember, more people miss going into the promised land than those who get there. I'm sorry, young folks. I wish I had a more triumphant message to tell than that. But the fact still remains more people never make it to their promised lands than those who do. Look at this incident. Twelve spies went out. Only two eventually made it into the promised land. That's less than 17% made to the destiny for which God had created them. Now, folks, the reason so many people do not make it is because they're not aware of that giant fear and don't recognize him when he comes. And it's because they refuse to believe God over the wisdom of men. Caleb made it. Caleb together with Joseph, and we ask the word of God, why did Caleb make it together with, with uh, Joshua and others did not? The Bible says Caleb made it because he had a different spirit. That's the key, you see. The difference between making the promised land and not making it lies with the spirit that is in each one of us. Harry Emerson Bafosdick of the Riverside Church, formerly its pastor, <coughs> he made one of the wisest comments I have ever heard. It does not matter, he says, what life brings to us in her hands as much as the spirit we bring to life in our hands. 
That's what makes the difference between people. It's the spirit of Caleb. That is what got him into the promised land. And ladies and gentlemen, on this Memorial Day weekend, on this holy day, this, this Sunday before Pentecost, what I would like the most for you all to hear is what I think America needs and the church needs is a spirit. A spirit that comes from God. How did Caleb get his spirit? The same way you and I get our spirit from God, and you get it from God when you believe in God. And I think it's high time we quit running away from the giant fear, that we quit listening to the sounds of men and start listening to the word of God. And maybe instead of some of the messes we're in, we'll find ourselves instead in the promised land. Promised lands are not easily reached. And they're reached only by people who have the Spirit. God can't do anything more for us than what he has already done. And the difference is in whether or not we individually have that Spirit. That spirit of enthusiasm, of joy, of happiness, of confidence. And knowing that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of love, the spirit of power, and the spirit of self-control. <clears throat> and on the 14th chapter of this book of Numbers, God is pictured speaking to Moses, so how long? How long will these people despise me? How long must I wait for them to believe in me in spite of the signs that I have wrought for them? How long, Lord? How long? As long as it takes for us to wake up. And to take the spirit that you have given to us by the power of your Holy Spirit until we wake up and start living by the Spirit, Lord. And Lord, I only hope it won't be too late. God bless America. And God bless each one of us that we will find our promised lands. Amen. Our Father and our God, you've given us so many blessings. We have so many in this church, we can't even get them all in in the hour for worship. Thank you, Father, and as we leave this place, help us to know and remember who we are. We're sons of God. And those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon all of us and dwell in our hearts forever and ever. Amen.